All right. Thank you, worship team. Um, this mic sounds a little bit hot, so if you want to maybe bring that down just a little bit, because I'll probably get excited. I try not to, um, but there's something about the Bible that just uh, excites me. And when I see what God is doing in in your lives, in our lives as a church, uh, I'm just excited about it. And so if you have not been here, we have been in the middle of a series that we've called Thriving in Babylon. And what we have done is looked at the life of Daniel, and we've looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Azariah, Mishael, and... Hananiah, thank you. I told them out, said them out of order. But uh, we often refer to those three by their um, Babylonian names, but we refer to Daniel by his Hebrew name, and so it's just kind of interesting. And it's been a part of this series. And today we're actually in part eight. But last week we kind of shifted because uh, last week we talked about knowing how to live. And we've talked about how to know God, we've talked about knowing who we are in Christ, knowing how to pray, knowing God's agenda, um, to bring people back into relationship with himself, that's his agenda, and uh, he's using us to help bring people back into relationship with him, that's our assignment. And last week we started talking about knowing how to live in this not Babylon, but in this culture, much like they had to live in. And so today we're going we're gonna to transform. We're going to go into um, knowing how to live with hope. And the reason um, that's kind of significant is because this is the beginning of Advent season. And uh, I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. I grew up celebrating Christmas, love Christmas, everything about Christmas. And uh, even though I know that Jesus was probably not born in December, that Jesus was probably not born in a barn, that Jesus was probably not born because, uh, you know, in a barn because there was no hotel rooms available for them. And uh, if you've never heard me preach on the real story of Christmas, uh, we kind of like to put our cultural versions of Christmas onto the Bible instead of letting the Bible speak for itself, but that doesn't mean it's still not wonderful. Uh, the fact that God himself came to earth, um, was put inside the womb of, of the Virgin Mary, and then was born and lived on this earth, God in flesh, uh, that's still pretty wondrous, if you ask me. And so it doesn't matter uh, if it happened as dramatic as we thought, think it did or didn't, but uh, it's still pretty cool. And Advent is the, the, the religious celebration, if you will, about the coming of Christ. Because that word Advent just means coming. And we celebrate the coming of Christ the first time, but we're looking forward to his second coming because he's coming again. And we use an Advent wreath, if you will, and candles. And each week we light one extra candle. And then on Christmas Eve, you light the center candle, which is the Christ child, the Messiah, and the light begins to build. The anticipation begins to build. That's the point of Advent. Now, again, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to celebrate it. Um, it's not like if a church celebrates it or doesn't celebrate it, they're more spiritual or less spiritual than another church. Uh, in fact, you know, the New Testament really kind of did away with the feasts and the celebrations and uh, they didn't celebrate the resurrection at Easter. They celebrated the resurrection every day. Um, you know, we like to celebrate, he is risen. He is risen indeed. We say that at Easter time. They said that every day. And so um, don't just celebrate the birth of Christ, God with us at Christmas. Don't just celebrate his resurrection at Easter. Celebrate it every day. Um, and if that means leave your tree up all year, I'm all for it. You know, leave your tree up all year. It'll be great. But the, the weeks of Advent all have a theme. And this week is the theme of 
hope. And so that's why we're talking about now knowing how to live with hope. And we're going to tie that into this Thriving in Babylon series that we've been talking about. Now, I'm a student of history. I love history. I love American history. I love, um, in fact, I wanted to study government American history. If I could teach American history, I'd be like in my, you know, element in my flesh. But I love what I do. But if God had not called me into ministry, that's where I would probably be today. And there's a guy by the name of Chuck Colson, Charles Colson. And I don't know if you know him, but he would be what I would consider a modern-day Daniel. Um, he maybe didn't start out like a Daniel, but he served from 1969 to 1973 as special counsel to President Richard Nixon. Now, if you know anything about American history, you know that the, the Nixon administration was really a time of power, pride, corruption, and Chuck Colson was a part of that to the point where he was convicted of a felony and actually had to spend time in prison. But in prison and in this public humiliation that he suffered, he found Christ and he put his hope in Christ. Now, he started what we know today, ministries of prison fellowship, the ministries of angel tree that offers um, Christmas gifts to the, the inmates' children so people that are in prison can apply and then churches all across the country buy gifts and deliver them to those children. And he started what's called the Justice Fellowship. And those ministries have grown and have reached people um, across the world. And I want to start today by giving you a couple quotes from Charles Colson, from Chuck Colson, because he, I think he has an understanding of the political scene and the religious scene, and the power of the gospel, much like maybe Daniel did, uh, but only in our modern day. And so these are just from different books he's written, different places that he's written. So if you ask me where to find them, I will not know. Okay, but he said them. And so that's all that's important, or he wrote them. This is what he says. Our character is determined not by our circumstances, but by our reaction to those circumstances. I love this one. Life is a mess, and theology must be lived out in the midst of that mess. How many of you know life is a mess? <laughs> and if your theology can't be lived out in the mess, it's not true. It, and it should be lived out in that. Then he talks about putting our hope in the political systems. Christians should never have a political party. It is a huge mistake to become married to an ideology because the greatest enemy of the gospel is ideology. Ideology is a man-made format of how the world ought to work. And Christians instead believed in the revealing truth of Scripture. That's interesting. He says this about suffering. Suffering is rightly called the school of faith. For it is only through trouble, difficulties, and setbacks that we are brought to the end of ourselves. The normal human tendency, particularly for strong-willed people, is to rely on our own strength and resources. But when those are not available to us, when everything has failed, when we have to abandon every other hope, we are forced to trust God alone. Sometimes I mean, the church worldwide is exploding. And it's exploding in places where they don't have other options. So all they can do is cry out to God in hope. We have so many options available to us that we many times treat God as the last resort. Hey, well, you know, I'll pray, but I'm going to do this too because I'm, I don't really know if God's going to come through. 
And we wonder why he comes through in other parts of the world, not so much in our lives. And then this last one, and this is a key one. Where is the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? The hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed, of what great things that we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life. Any Stephen Curtis Chapman fans? Did you recognize that one? Chuck Colson actually reads that quote at the beginning of one of Stephen Curtis Chapman's songs. Uh, I don't know which one, but I think it's in the Here in the Real World album. But this idea of biblical hope seems to be missing from the American church. I mean, we claim hope, but sometimes our reactions to the situations of our lives, our reactions to what's happening around us, don't display the hope that we claim. Daniel was a man of hope, and I think his courage, I think his confidence, I think everything that he accomplished in the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire that followed was because of the hope that he had in the Lord. A lot of the time, the problem with us is we don't, we don't understand that word hope because for us as a culture, that word has taken on a whole new meaning than it does in the, the Bible, in the biblical times. And I likened it. In fact, yesterday I asked the young people in my home to give me a word that actually means something else. And uh, the word sick was the word that I got. So if I say, man, that movie was sick, or that band is sick, I mean, some of you might be like, they don't feel good, should I put some hand sanitizer on? Not that kind of sick, it means cool, good, rad, hip, I mean, you know, all those words, I'm using words that people that aren't like, you know, that are my age and older, that you understand, okay? So there's nothing wrong with my hip if you're young today, so don't think that. But we, we have these words in our culture that, that sometimes we use, and people are like, what do you mean by that? And so I even asked them, I'm like, can I use the word fat? Is fat like a good word? Because, you know, when I was growing up, when we said fat, that meant like that person is really cool. They're fat. The fat didn't mean overweight, you know, P-H-A-T, fat. It was cool. So the word hope has taken on that same type of understanding. For us, the word hope has kind, kind of come to mean this wishful thinking. You know, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. I hope you have a good Christmas. I hope you have a great vacation. Meaning, you know, I'm, I'm putting all of my, my good vibes out towards you. I'm really hoping, I'm really wishing for you, you know, positive thinking. You gotta have some positive thinking, okay? Because if you have positive thinking, then maybe you'll just, you won't give up. You'll just keep trying and, and you, you'll just, that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is certain. Daniel didn't just wish that everything would turn out okay. Daniel didn't just wish or sit in his room and try to positively visualize a better future. He began to pray for it. In fact, once he realized in Daniel chapter 9 that the captivity that he was a part of was only going to last 70 years, and it was at 70 years, he started to pray. Because he knew it was certain, but yet that meant he needed to pray for God to, to finish it, to be faithful, to bring it to pass. Not because he didn't think it would happen, but because he knew it would happen. And he knew God works through his people. And he knew God worked through the prayers of his people. And that's why he began to pray. 
He knew that God was in control. He knew that everything that was happening to him, even if it didn't make sense or he didn't understand it, that God was in control. And that word hope is what we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's confidence. I can be confident in what I hope for, what God has said he's going to do. It is the assurance about what we do not see. Now, I want you to understand something. If you see it, you no, no, you're no longer, it's no longer in the realm of faith or hope. So if you're, you're praying for healing and the healing comes, there's no longer a need for faith or hope because it's happened. And yet we live our lives and we say, oh, I, I, I have hope in God. I have faith in God. And the moment one thing goes wrong in our week, it's like we can't handle it. I can't, I, I don't know what to do. So we claim hope, but we live uncertain. That's the problem that we see. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Now, do you know what an anchor is? An anchor is what a ship uses, okay, puts it down, so that when the wind and the waves are going crazy, the boat stays put. It's anchored. That hope, the hope, the confidence, the assurance that we have in God is what keeps us steady. It's what keeps us still. It is firm and secure. And it's based on what Christ has done for us. That's what the writer of Hebrews chapter 6 verse saying. Look, it's an anchor for our soul. Next week, Pastor John is going to be talking a lot about how we as human beings are made up of spirit, soul, and body. Okay, And the moment you put faith in Christ, your spirit becomes born again. It becomes alive. It becomes new. It is brand new. Your spirit is now connected to God's spirit. You're totally new. Okay, Your body is the thing that we can all see. And no matter what you try to do, no matter how good you try to eat, no matter how much you try to exercise, your body is going to die. There is nothing you can do about it. Okay, but the good news is when your body dies and Christ returns, you get to put on a new body and that new body's never going to die and that new body is never going to get sick and never going to get tired. It's great. And in the middle is our soul and our soul is our mind. It's our emotions. It's our will and our souls are being made new. Some of us think that when when we, we get into heaven, that our souls are just going to instantly change. No, 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 no. Our job now is to make sure that our minds are being renewed day by day, that our emotions aren't leading us, because sometimes our emotions are affected by our body, and when we get a new body, that emotional tug of war won't necessarily be there, but we are to be renewing ourselves. And so that hope is an anchor for our soul. It's an anchor for our thoughts. So when I start having thoughts that contradict the hope of God's word, I take those thoughts captive. I don't let those thoughts lead me. I let my hope lead me, my faith, my security, my confidence. When my emotions are like, well, I don't really feel like doing that. But if this book says to do it, I do it because I'm not led by my feelings because my, my feelings are uncertain, but my hope is secure. 
And some of us, I, I don't know if we, we believe that everything's supposed to just work out for us and everything's just supposed to go perfectly for us. In those times of uncertainty, in those times of struggle, we have to put our anchor, the hope, in God's word. In James chapter 1, James says it this way. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because that person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I mean, he starts talking about these trials and tribulations that we need to, we, we need to count them as joy. And if we, we've, you know, stay steadfast in the midst of them, perseverance finishes its work. And then he's like, if any of you lacks wisdom. It means if any of you don't understand what's going on, if any of you don't know what to do in the face of the crisis that you're in, ask God. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Google what you should do. It says ask God. It doesn't say just wait till you have problems to ask God. It, you ask God for wisdom. You keep putting his word in your heart so that in those moments you say, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do here. And he brings back to your mind the hope that he's put in you because you spend time in his word and then that hope keeps you secure and you're like, I'm not gonna do what my mother, I don't feel, I just don't feel like it. You know what I felt like when I got up this morning? I'm like, you know, I don't really feel like cleaning off the car today. I don't really feel like shoveling a little bit of snow. I don't really feel like getting to the church and putting some salt down on the sidewalks. I don't really feel. You know what we should do? We should just cancel. That's what I felt like. And I'm like, no. That's not, I'm not going to be led. And here's the thing. There's no sin in canceling church. Did you hear this? There's no sin in canceling church. There's no sin in it. But here's the thing, it's so easy. Once you start giving into how you feel in little things, it's so easy to give into how you feel in big things. And so every time I want to give into what I feel, no, I'm not going to give into what I feel. In Ephesians chapter 4, look what it says Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and again, become mature. That's the same words that James used, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's the same wording. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, <coughs> speaking the truth. <coughs> the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That only happens 
when we stop letting our thoughts, our emotions, our will, our desires lead us. We no longer let those things lead us. In fact, the Bible says if you continue to sow to your flesh, if you continue to do what your flesh desires, you will find death. But if you sow to the Spirit, what the Spirit of God is saying in you, what the Word of God is telling you to do, you will find life. And I don't know if you thought that it would be easy. I don't know if you expected that when you went home the, today, you're gonna, like, there's going to be like all these messages waiting to tell you that everything in your life is perfect. Everything in your life isn't perfect. Life is a mess. And your theology has to be able to be lived out in that mess. This is biblical hope. It's the ability to, to be in a mess. It's the ability to have everything around me crumbling and yet to remain steadfast. Romans chapter 15. The, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's what the apostle Paul says. How many of you, if I said, you know, okay, I'm gonna just call you up here and I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pray this prayer over you and then you're just gonna leave and you're always gonna be at peace and you're never gonna have anxious moments and you're never gonna have bad thoughts. And you're, I mean, you, we would be like, I'm there. But it doesn't work that way. I mean, that peace... We pray it over you and it's available to you, but sometimes that means you have to take thoughts captive. Sometimes that means you're gonna feel like this, but you're gonna have to act contrary to your feelings by the power of the Spirit. See, when may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope through the power of the Spirit. I mean, we all wanna overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit, but you know what? You gotta trust him. That means when you feel like doing one thing, you're not going to do it. You're going to do what his word said because you trust him. And then you're going to start to overflow with hope. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen just on day one. It doesn't even happen the first week, month, year. I don't even know if I overflow with hope. And I've been doing this for 40-some years. But every day, it's like this battle. You're taking thoughts captive. And then another one from Romans. Against all hope. Abraham in hope believed. If you don't know the story, God promised Abraham he was going to have many descendants. They were going to be more than the sands on the seashore. And Abraham got into his 90s and he still doesn't have a son. How in the world am I going to be able to have descendants like the sands on the seashore if I don't even have a son and my body's as good as dead, Sarah's body's as good as dead? It's, it's hopeless. And yet against all hope, he had this confident assurance. If God said it, I'm going to trust it. It's not like, oh, I really, I really hope. It's, I'm sure it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. It looks stupid. In fact, if you, okay, you went to visit your aging parents or grandparents or someone in their 90s, okay, and they had never had a child, which is impossible if they're your grandparents, but you went to visit them, okay? And you walked in and you're like, they said, you know, we're still believing that God's gonna come through and we're gonna have a child. You'd be like, you are not having a child. Are you foolish? I mean, you have already passed the change of life. You are, it's not gonna happen. We would think those people are crazy, but because God told them it was gonna happen, Abraham put his faith in it. 
It was certain. It's going to happen. And you don't think he woke up some days and was like, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And yet, against all hope, put yourself in this life against all hope. What's that mean for you? Does that mean you're going to lose your job? Does that mean your finances are going to be a mess? Does that mean your relationships are going to be ugly? I mean, you're just going to wake up, you're going to have a bad week, you're going to have a bad year, you're going to have a bad month. I don't know. Against all hope. Are you in a situation right now where there's absolutely no hope whatsoever? Then you find what God says about your situation. And against all hope, you put hope in what he says. That confident assurance. Larry Osborne, in the book Thriving in Babylon that we've been reading along with this series, talks about this great disconnect in our lives, this hope that we claim, but yet our lives don't always match what we claim. And he says, don't we claim to know how the game of life ends? And if we do, shouldn't that affect the way we interpret and respond to the enemy's short-term victories and temporary advances? If our sins are forgiven and our destiny is assured, if we are joint heirs with Jesus and certain he's coming back to set all wrongs right, then despair and panic over the latest court decision or even the steady erosion of morality in our culture hardly seems like appropriate responses. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and the glorious eternity is laid out for us. And knowing that should change everything about how we interpret and respond to the things that happen around us. Even when they are tough, evil, and hard to swallow. Fear and pessimism make no sense when victory is guaranteed. Obviously, Daniel wasn't pleased to see his homeland ransacked, the Babylonians victorious, or his life turned upside down. He had plenty to be legitimately distressed about. But he also had God's promises. And it's here that Daniel made an important choice. He chose to interpret his circumstances through the lens of faith. He responded in light of God's promises rather than in light of Nebuchadnezzar's success. He had hope, even against all hope. And here's the thing. I know that we look at Daniel and we've talked about him and how great he was and all these things. But can I tell you something? He wasn't a spiritual giant when he got to Babylon. I mean, he only did what he knew. He didn't know that the prophecy was foretold that they were going to be there for 70 years. He didn't know that. We found out later that he read that in the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. You know what that tells me? He was reading the scrolls. He was reading the prophets. We know he was praying three times a day. We don't know that he was praying three times a day the first day he got to Babylon, but we know that later on, a few chapters later, a few decades later, he's praying three times a day. So don't impose what we think of Daniel as this spiritual giant to the beginning. At the beginning, all we know about him is he's like, we got to keep the food laws. We don't know that he keeps the food laws all of his life. It's so interesting because my family just had this discussion. My father-in-law brought it up and he's like, we don't know that Daniel carried on those food. We don't. We don't know that Daniel, when he was thrown into the lion's we don't know if he's still not eating at the king's table. We don't know if he's not eating meat sacrificed by idols. We just assume it. All we know is at the beginning, Daniel's like, here's, here's all I know to do. I'm gonna do it. So here's the, here's the point. Do what you know. You don't have to know all the scripture. You don't have to know all the Bible verses. Do what you know. 
And when you start doing what you know, you get more. This is what Jesus is telling us in Mark chapter 4. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. Now that doesn't mean that you should sit in the front row when I'm teaching so that you're closer to listen. He means as you listen and put it into practice. That's what it means to be close when you listen. It means you take what you have and you actually leave this room today and you put into practice what you have. I mean, you don't have to sit and worry about all the things that you don't know and all the things you don't have. Take what you have, and as you begin to put that into practice, you get more understanding. Sometimes people are like, you know, Pastor, I don't understand. I can't hear God's voice about this decision I have to make. But here's the thing. You want to hear God's voice about these big decisions you have, but you won't obey God in the little things he's already told you to do. And the way to learn to hear his voice in the big decisions is to just obey him in the little things. It says it right here in the word. If you start listening to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Take heed or pay attention to what you are hearing, what you're putting in. There's an old phrase, an old saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? What are we putting in? I mean, if all we're doing all day long is binge-watching Netflix or all we're doing all day long is being inundated by news media and social media, how is good stuff going to come out? I mean, if we're not in this book, how are we going to overflow with hope? If all we're doing is watching Fox News and listening to all the crazies that are talking about all these things that are happening in our culture and how terrible everything is, and God is certainly surprised by all that is happening right now. He had no idea they were going to start impeachment hearings. Oh my goodness. He's totally aware. He's totally in control. Read the book. Put hope in your heart and hope comes out. Did you know that in our culture today, there's this thing called attention economics? Attention economics. You know what that means? That means people today are are vying for your attention. They want your, your time. And so they actually research and they spend millions of dollars on how to get you addicted to their stuff. Their app, their social media site, their video game, their movie, their show. They want to get you to the point when you, you just can't turn it off. Do you know why we have the term binge watching on Netflix? Because they know how to do it. They know how to get you hooked. They know how to get it. <clears throat> the video, the games that you play on your phone, they know how many levels, how many times you can fail before you give up. They do. And some of them, will get you to the place because they want you to buy stuff. You know, you buy more lives or you buy this. So they, it's a thing. You are being duped. We are being duped. We know it. And some of us are like, we know it. We just don't care. And I don't care if you care, but I want you to be aware that you are being sucked into stuff. And if you expect hope to flow out of you on a regular basis, but you're not putting hope in you, it's not going to happen. And what happens is we, we get inundated by all the stuff that's going on around us. We spend all our time watching news reports and, and scrolling through Facebook or, or 
Instagram or Snapchat and we do all these things and we wonder why when little things happen in our lives, we can't handle it. I can't handle it. Well, you know why you can't handle it? Because you haven't put hope in you. Oh, but you prayed over me and you said that there was going to be hope. Yeah, I did. But it actually comes as you start putting it into practice. Now, don't get me wrong. I binge watch my shows too. And I like to, I don't actually like to play games on my phone because I don't know why. Because I don't have time to binge watch and play games. So I got to pick one. You know, you got to pick one. You can't do everything. And so, but we have to make sure that we're putting our attention on God. In Romans chapter one, this is what Paul says. He says that people, okay, on the earth, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Okay, I want you to understand something. We're going to talk about two things in the last few moments we have together. We're going to talk about how to worship God as God. Okay, and then we're going to talk about how to give him thanks. And we're not going to take a lot of time with it. We're still going to get you out at 1130, so don't panic. But what happens is when we don't actually worship God as God or we don't actually get in this book and anchor ourselves in the truth of his word and hope and we don't actually live that out in our lives, we actually begin to create a false idea of what God is like. And I know that in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about people making statues that look like animals and statues that look like all these crazy things. But there's a version of this that's happening in our American culture where we go to church and we're there every Sunday and we actually read through the Bible regularly. I mean, we spend 10 minutes in the Bible every day and then, you know, we spend 23 hours and 50 minutes out of the Bible and we wonder why, you know, there's a problem. But we do that. And we, we claim to worship God, but we're not actually putting his truth into practice in our lives. In fact, some of the things that he says, do not do these things, we're actually, he's, he didn't really mean that. I mean, you know, I know that the Bible says that, but I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Clearly says, don't do it whatsoever, black and white, don't ever, ever, ever do this, ever under any circumstances. But I feel like I should. And we've created a God in our own brains. One that's going to give us what we want. And we don't live with hope. So how do we worship him as God? Here's how you do it. You get in the word of God. Because contrary to what you feel or what anyone ever tells you or teaches you, if it doesn't line up with this, it's not who God is and he's not okay with it. I mean, you can, you can say, well, I don't feel any conviction whatsoever when I feel that. Okay, but if it's clear in here, now, trust me, I know there are some things that the church over the years has said, do not do this, but it's not clear in here whether that's a black and white one, okay? But there are clear rules and parameters that God has set up, not because he's mean or he's just being a cosmic killjoy, but because he knows what's best because he's our creator, and when he tells us how to live our lives and we live them however we choose, we're not going to be filled with hope. So get in the word of God. Get in it all the time. Not just, I mean, it's great that we have our daily Bible reading plans, but once in a while, instead of this, pick this. And just eat on a, just a couple verses and then say, Holy Spirit, help me understand how to apply that. I would rather you read 
one verse of the Bible and live it every day than six chapters and not do any of it. Because then we start creating this God in our brains. Because, hey, I read the Bible today. I mean, I didn't do any of it, but I read it. I mean, hey, you got to be proud of me for that. Nowhere in here are we told to just read it. We're told to memorize it. We're told to live it out, but not just read it. And then fasting and prayer. Notice I put fasting before prayer. We ought to do things that actually starve our flesh regularly. Regularly. We should do it because that helps us get control over all of the desires of our flesh. The scripture tell us, hey, you should do this. You should, you should spend time in fasting. You should tend, spend time seeking the Lord. If you diligently seek him, you will find him. And so many of us are out there trying to find him. And he says, if you diligently seek me, you're going to find me. The third one, live in community. We have hit on this so much over the last several months. This is something I believe with all of my heart. God has called us to live in a community of believers. In the American culture, we have made the gospel all about me and myself and me and my family and me and my faith. And it's not about that. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the community of believers. It's about brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And the reason God calls us to live in community is because you don't see things the way I see things. And the way that my faith gets worked out is when you and I have to find an understanding and learn to live together in unity even when we disagree. But in our culture, if I disagree with you, then I just am going to be over here and you be over there and that's how we're going to be. And yet the true test of our faith is how we live in the community of believers. I don't care how spiritual some people think they are. Anybody can be spiritual if you're in a monastery. How hard is that? I mean, when it's just me and my Bible and Jesus all day long, anybody could be close to God. But show me someone who lives out their faith in, with their family, their unbelieving family. Show me that, and that's what he's looking for. And then the last one is, seems pretty simple. Obey. Obey. All the time. Not when you feel like it. Not most of the time. Obey all the time. And then we don't just worship him as God. We give him thanks. We trust him. We trust him. It means my life is a mess right now. I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea what's going on. But God, I trust that you're in control of it. And you're going to lead me. And you're going to direct me. And I'm going to obey what I know to do. I can't really obey what I don't know, and so I'm just going to do what I know, and I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to be quick to listen, and I'm going to be slow to speak, and I'm not going to complain. When I was a youth pastor, we had rules for trips that we went on, and one of the rules was do not complain under any circumstances because complaining is the only sin God will not forgive. And I know that's not true, but uh, <laughs> I wanted them to understand that when things don't go our way, it's so easy in our culture to just complain. We complain about the weather, we complain about this, we complain about that, we complain about, you know, everything. And yet the Bible says, don't complain about anything, but instead, learn to give God thanks. And so actually, if you just live your life and never complain about anything, and when you feel the urge to complain, you're just like, I'm not going to complain. I just want to thank you that you gave me breath today. That 
in and of itself could change your world, could change everything for you. And so practice that idea of gratitude. Again, Larry Osborne says, practicing the discipline of gratitude doesn't mean we're supposed to artificially find the good in everything. Some things are bad. Some things are evil. Only a fool calls evil good. But in every situation, no matter how bad or evil it might be, there are things in the past and there are things in the future to give thanks for. And it's in remembering these blessings that we find the courage to endure our present hardships and the evils that we face. I know that some people, some folks, who think their fear and angst are appropriate in light of their circumstances, but they're wrong. The moment our problems seem bigger than our God, we are either seeing poorly or remembering inaccurately. And at that point, we have a choice to make. We can focus on what's going wrong, or we can fix our thoughts on the cross, the empty tomb, and the plethora of blessings that we have to be thankful for. Excuse me. If we do, we'll end up like Asaph and Daniel, filled with hope, confidence, and optimism that come from knowing who's in charge and how everything will end up. Or we can choose to fixate on the personal and cultural problems that plague us. If we do, we'll end up like the children of Israel, frustrated, angry, and panicked, even when God is about to provide us with a great deliverance. So today, what's, what's your hope level? What's your hope level? Your circumstances, your life, what's going on? And if your hope level is like way down here, here's the thing. Just start where you are. Don't be like, well, that person up there, they, they look like they're always hopeful. I don't understand. And they're like, you know why I tell you things like I, I woke up today and wanted to cancel church because I didn't feel like coming? So you understand, I don't live up here, okay? I have days where just getting through the day without biting someone's head off, usually my wife or children or dog, that, you know, just living one day without doing some of that, sometimes that's a victory. That's all I needed today. That type of hope. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your hope level, just start there. Start there. And look, start to worship him as God. Just get in the word. Don't try to get in the word for seven hours a day. Just get in the word. Just start putting the word into practice. Just start fasting and praying. Just say, you know what? One hour a day, I'm not going to touch my phone. Or one day a week, I'm not going to touch any of my devices. I'm just going to, you know, try to, to center my thoughts. Even one day a month. Hey, I'd settle for one day a year. Just take a day and say, God, it's yours. I'm just going to fast. I'm going to pray. Live in community with people. Don't run from people. I've, I've pastored for 22 years. And people will tell me all the time, Pastor, I'm really struggling just coming to church. I just really don't feel like coming. That's nothing new. Do you know how many people struggle with that feeling? Just don't let that feeling lead you. Well, I feel like such a hypocrite. <laughs> no, if you only do what you feel like doing, that's what makes you a hypocrite. Acting contrary to your feelings because it's what the word of God says doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you a believer. And the lie is, if I do something and I, I have to fake it, or if I, I do something and I don't really feel it, my feelings aren't in it, then I'm a hypocrite. That's a lie. The truth of the word is I obey no matter how I feel. And then just start giving God thanks. Open my eyes in wonder is a great prayer to pray. God, show me the stuff today I miss. I mean, she had to bring up the snow, didn't she? It was like, you know, you could have said so many things that are wonderful today. 
but you really, you, you picked the snow. But it's true. I mean, it's crazy how wondrous snow is. And we just, it's so crazy. I think it was for you. <laughs> Avoid complaining like the plague. Don't even let it in. And so let's pray. Father, I pray like the Apostle Paul today that you would fill us with all the peace and joy and hope that come from you. But God, we recognize today that you provide it, but it's up to us to begin to act on it. Your spirit is gonna give us everything that we need today to begin to act in hope. God's certainty. And I pray that you'd help us to begin to build our hope. God, help us not to be overwhelmed with how big or how little our hope might be. Help us to just start where we are. God, to just continue to put your promises into practice, to continue to put your word into practice. God, to center our thoughts, to center our feelings, to center our emotions upon who you are and what you've done for us. God, at this season of the year, how much easier it is to be constantly reminded of how much you love us, that while we were your enemies, you came to this earth and you built a bridge for us to be in a relationship with you again. God, those reminders are everywhere we turn. Those songs are everywhere we are. And I pray for every person in this room today, God, that throughout these, these weeks ahead, that we would begin to literally overflow with hope. God, that as we take these things and we begin to put them into practice, that all of a sudden our normal reactions are beginning to change. God, that where maybe we would have flown off the handle at something that didn't go our way, we all of a sudden find peace. We all of a sudden find hope. All of a sudden our perspective has begun to change. And so Holy Spirit, I pray for each of us today that that hope would resonate in our hearts. I want to invite you to stand with me. Usually at the end of the service, I like to, to give you a chance to, to respond. But here's the truth. I think every one of us needs to grow in our hope. And so I feel like all of us in some way needs to respond. And those of you that maybe have a hope level that you just feel depleted today, asking you to maybe raise your hand, maybe make your hope even shrink a little bit more. But here's what I want to make available to you. Our prayer team is going to be here. And especially if you're here today and you just feel like life is hopeless, that you're just spent, you're just tired, give us a chance to just pray for you for a few minutes before you have to leave today. We want to just, we want to just pray, come alongside you and, and ask God to fill you with hope. Just encourage you a little bit. And so our prayer team will be here in the front as I close in prayer and dismiss you. Uh, you can come, you can find one of them. If you need to be dismissed, uh, just do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that maybe want to spend a little bit more time just kind of wrapping their mind around some of the things God's saying to them. And so don't, don't feel like you have to hurry out. If you need to go, feel free to be dismissed. But if you've got some time, just allow the Holy Spirit to marinate these words in your heart a little bit before you go. And so, Father, thank you for all the things that you've done to reveal yourself to us, to pour your love on us. And God, I pray especially for those that are in this room right now that just literally feel like everything is 
hopeless. Holy Spirit, would you just come right alongside them right now? Walk down every aisle, walk through every pew. God, just sit down right beside them. Just remind them your love, your power, your grace, your hope. Fill their hearts with hope today. Certain hope. Now, God, I pray your blessing on this body. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them, that you'd give them peace. And God, that you would be gracious to them in every way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And thanks for being here today.